Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fully Delighted Podcast. My name is Adam and I get to serve as the Campus Support Team Director here at South Mountain Community Church. And uh, with me as always, I've got Pastor Eric on one side and Pastor Paul on the other. Glad to have you guys here today as we continue in 1 Corinthians. Good to be here. Yeah, sure is good to be here. I'm excited. It's snowing out, guys. What's up with that? Crazy. It's snowing in April. Man. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, I'm, di- I'm excited to dive into this passage. I, I just love you know, combing through God's Word. It's pretty mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for our listeners, again, if you haven't been with us, we're going through 1 Corinthians chapter by chapter, reading out of the New International Version, or the NIV, and uh, we just go through it little by little and and uh, just commentate on it. That's basically what this is. Yeah. Um, so love to provide this for you. We're going to go ahead and jump right into uh, the first section here in 1 Corinthians 10, and uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. So Paul says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Yeah, (laughs) it's an interesting passage. So once again, I always think it's good to talk about the transition from one chapter to the next, because when you understand the transition, you can understand the building of the argument. Sure. And he's just got done wrapping up this sort of keep going, stay disciplined, don't don't get lazy, don't be led astray section in chapter Mm -hmm. 9. And so now he's going to use an example of people who did that very thing, unfortunately, in chapter 10. And he's going to do that by talking about the, um, their history, their ancestry, so to speak. He's going to go back into Old Testament Israel, back into the Old Covenant, and really talk about these, um, these major symbols for people. Uh, he's going to go back to the Exodus. He's going to go back to these high points, which were also kind of low points mm. in their faith history. And so he's going to draw that out, but he's going to sort of redefine it and redeem some of it. He's going to use it as a warning while also helping them focus on Jesus. So that's kind of what's happening here. Yeah, I wish... uh, Sorry about this, Adam, but verse 6 is helpful Mm -hmm. just as we look at verses 1 through 5, and that is, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Mm. So that's why he's going back to some of the greatest hits of uh, the wilderness wanderings. These things are recorded. Now, this is why we read the Old Testament. Uh, We can get wisdom Mm -hmm. from reading the Old Testament. These are warnings, like Mm -hmm. don't do what they did. Look at the consequences. Mm. And and I think that that's important because a lot of times people just say, I don't want to read the Old Testament. I don't get it. Well, Mm. you know what? There's a lot to get there. Yeah, and I think <laughs> it's if pretty we just rich. Go back through what Adam read. Uh, we see ancestors in the beginning of chapter ten. So he's saying, "Let me go back to the ancestors." So that's really helpful. My phone is talking to me. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Sorry, guys. Um, and then under the cloud, what was the cloud? I mean, that might be if you haven't read the old, read the old Testament. Um, that might it's, be a big. It's confusing. that pillar. 
at during the day that led mm-hmm. Israel, mm-hmm. and then there's a pillar of fire at night, and it led them through the Red Sea, and and into the wilderness, and that led them for forty years. Yeah, it says they were baptized into Moses, which is a weird type of statement, but of course, immersed into his ministry and leadership, right, is a good way to think about okay. that. They all ate the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rocks. So there was that moment where Moses. It's the rock, and water flows, and so he's just connecting these major themes for people. Remember when he struck it twice because he was frustrated? Yeah. He got in trouble for that. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, this journey that should have only taken them a matter of days took them 40 years, That's and so why was that? Well, their disobedience, and what happened over 40 years, their bodies were scattered about. People died in that situation, and that's what Paul's drawing attention to. That generation needed to die out. They mm. could not accomplish God's purposes with such a rebellious group of people. Right. Interesting. Right. They needed a new, new generation that uh, knew and loved God and followed Moses' leadership and weren't always pushing back every step of the way. Yeah. In this section, Paul is very stern in his language around the judgment that happened to that group of people. We're going to see that as it, as it continues. So let's go keep reading, Adam. Yeah, so as Paul read um, already, uh, verse 6, which I do think connects back to those first five verses, so we're just going to jump to 7 all the way through 10 now, so it's kind of a new thought here a little bit. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. Wow. Yeah, all things that happened. These are all judgments, yeah, yeah, judgments on Israel. And um, this was. these are just examples, especially of uh, when Moses was up on the mountain. They engaged in revelry, made that golden calf, and... Mm-hmm. A lot of people died after that. And then remember uh, when they were eaten by snakes, uh, the, the cure was for a bronze snake to be lifted up, mm-hmm. and if the people looked upon that. And then in the New Testament we read that if Jesus said, if I be lifted up mm-hmm. in the same sort of way, mm-hmm. if I be lifted up, I will bring you know all those who place their faith in me, mm-hmm. will be saved. Yeah. yeah. And in this section, these are really just quick hyperlinks. He assumes that the listener yes. will know exactly the whole context and background. So if you're reading this, you're thinking, man, I'm a little stumped on how the snake thing happened, and just jump back into the book of Exodus, jump back into your Old Testament, and you will see the fuller context of that story, which is simply idolatry, rebellion against God, judgment happening. So Eric, you you were having a hard time finding 23,000 people yeah, died. Yeah, let's talk about that. So as I was studying this, I'm thinking, okay, what's he referring to with the 23,000? I, I know what he's referring to with the snakes. Uh, I understand that. But what's the 23,000? I mean, that's a nice round number, by the way. Like, oh, wow, that's exactly... Did someone go out and count 23,000 bodies? It's interesting. Um, but, but what I think is even more interesting is um, the criticism that people have against the Bible, the Apostle Paul, with this number. Because if people have gone back and said, where's the 23,000? Well, the closest thing we can find is in the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, chapter 25, uh, we read this in verse 8 and then into 9, then the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. 
Well, 24,000 includes 23,000. So how are we supposed to read this? That's really yeah. a question. And so some people say there's no Old Testament reference to 24,000 on the dot, so I guess the Bible has an error here, or Paul's memory failed him, or something else is going on. So let's talk about the something else, because the way the mm -hmm. New Testament refers back to the Old Testament is not with the mathematical precision we expect today when we see numbers. They didn't live in that type of number world that mm -hmm. we live in. And so we can still hold up the inerrancy of the Bible, saying the Bible is without error in its intent, purposes, and then also look at this and go, yeah, Paul was either rounding up or referring back to you know a situation, getting mm -hmm. it right in the purposes that he had in mind, even if it wasn't exactly 24,000. Paul, anything you yeah. want to add to that? Yeah. They have a different way of uh, talking about history. Uh, it's it's basically mountaintops, like hit the big ideas, the details kind of just mm -hmm. fade away in the mm -hmm. in the background. But let's make sure we get the life lesson from each of these things. That's really how they looked upon the Old Testament scriptures, and right. and even recorded it for us to read. And one of the examples of that is uh, Genesis chapter one through eleven. Man, a lot of scholarship has gone into those <laughs> chapters, mm -hmm. and sometimes, uh, in fact, William Lane Craig considers those 11 chapters what's called proto-history, and it's all true, but it's not accurate to the details that we're looking for, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the themes, God created, Adam sinned, mm -hmm. uh, People struggled uh, with rebellion against God, mm -hmm. you know, all that, Noah, what he did. And, of course, it, it kind of makes us scratch our head now. Is that a universal flood, or is that a local flood, or was it um, something else that we just don't understand? But when they use terms, the whole world, mm -hmm. man, we, we've got to put our thinking cap on and, and really think through, like, is it the whole known world mm -hmm. or literally the entire world? Right. Yep. And to tell you the truth, uh, it's a coin flip sometimes, mm -hmm. and, and it's hard to understand. So Hebrew scholarship is uh, yep. really, really interesting, but difficult for people like you and me. Yep. I think uh, it's important to remember this concept. C.S. Lewis introduced it to the world, I think, which is chronological snobbery, which means we look back and think, how could... How could um, how could Paul do this? He's so wrong. You know, we're, we're snobs. No, we need to read this in light of first century uh, linguistics, right? Mm -hmm. right and right. Um, and literature. And Paul's pa just painting with broad strokes. What you're saying is, let's not hold them to a standard that they didn't hold themselves to. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. And so, you know, one of the other things that's challenging here is if you read it, you know, kind of left to right, this then this, we get confused. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. Well, it doesn't say that they died because of sexual immorality. It was this, <laughs> it was this plague. So you're like, what? okay, what's he doing here? He's just speaking in general terms at this point. This happened, this happened, this happened. Why? And so he's just trying to draw out this point. And so I think mm. it's important that we read this through the lens which Paul gives us permission to read it, which is with broad strokes, not scientific precision. And yep. I think that's helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, so verses 11 through uh, 13 is the next section. It's, Paul says, 
These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Yeah, let's just pause right here and, and camp on this warning section. So we have this sort of ancient, you know, Israel moment, and then he just brings it up to like modern day. Be careful that you don't fall. You know, if you think you're standing firm, I could never fall. You know, that would never happen to me. He says, be careful. And I just got done watching a documentary that served as a strong warning for me. And I just, I think sometimes um, whenever I hear another story of a pastor falling, so to speak, and that's what he's talking about here, or a Christian falling, um, breaks my heart, but I can't look away for some reason. You know, it's a bit like a car crash. Like, you, you don't want to look, but you feel like you need to look because there's this sobering reality that comes when you look at something devastating like that. And so um, I just got done. I don't know if you guys have watched it. Um, Discovery Plus put out a new documentary about Hillsong. And yep. um, SMCC, we have a unique relationship with Hillsong. I've actually never listened to one of their messages because I actually don't appreciate them. <laughs> um, but their music... And the, the, the gifts in the music team, those people who have written these amazing tunes, I do appreciate very much. And so I have this kind of, you know, i got to be really precise in my thinking around the ministry of Hillsong. Um, but this new documentary came out, and uh, man, just horrible things happening. So Brian Houston just resigned, and he put out a letter to his church. And my wife and I, last night before we went to bed, we, we read through what he was talking about. And it served as a stern warning. He talked about how alcohol was no friend. So in the midst of this meteoric rise, you know, from, you know, of just a few people in the 80s to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people now um, connecting with the ministry of Hillsong, mm-hmm. you know, alcohol was, you know, beside him. It seems like most of the way, seems like he's, he's going out of his way to talk about his relationship with his wife, because it seems like that might be uh, broken, you know, there's some, some things that need to be repaired. Then, of course, he steps away from his church, which he said at one point, I never thought it would end like this. Mm. It's just devastating stuff. I mean, Paul, as someone who planted a church that's grown pretty large, I mean, how, does, how do these things warn you? Yeah, I've been a pastor for over 42 years now, and so I've witnessed a lot of those stories. Unfortunately, uh, it is not um, shocking what the root causes are, and much of the time, it's arrogance. It's it's basically being self-focused. It's uh, the rules don't apply to me. I'm amazing. Uh, d- don't you know who I am? Type of an attitude and just some sort of like narcissism or arrogance that kind of rises up because your platform gets so big. And you start to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Wow, the Apostle Paul wrote that in, in Romans chapter 12 yeah. as a warning. Yeah. And, and I think this is important. Yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, kind of this analogy that you're kind of drawing, Eric, is almost like, I think of it like this, you know, if the Apostle Paul was here today, a lot of what we've read so far in the first 10 verses or so are, are pointing to something that happened and giving some warning signs to it. It's almost like if you were writing, to, let's say that you were writing to a church now, you'd be yeah. like, you know, look at what happened to Brian yeah. Houston and Hillsong, like Carl warning, Lentz, danger. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like be aware this this happened, you know, like take, take caution. Uh, okay, so if you're not good at self-reflection, 
and you're not practicing some of the disciplines of the Holy Spirit, you better have a friend in your life that Mm -hmm. knows you well and can call you out. Mm -hmm. So this passage says that you need to be careful so that you don't fall. Yeah. Well, you can be careful by regular checkups yep. with God, with His Word, opening yourself to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in terms of one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is conviction of sin. Mm-hmm. And and look in the mirror and, and really do a full uh, self-evaluation. It's kind of like, you know, AA. Uh, do a full moral inventory. Yeah. You do that on a regular basis, you're not going to think that you're amazing. Right. Now, we're actually going to read through as a staff in one of our meetings today the letter because I want us to be so careful that we don't fall. And I want us to read Brian Houston's letter and say, what can we learn yeah. from a story like this? What warning can we can we take away from this? And um, that's going to be a, a, a good meeting, I think. Mm-hmm. One of the things that this passage teaches is that even though and the word temptation is used here. The Greek word can point to a trial, a temptation, anything that could cause you to stumble or even walk away from the faith. Any circumstance, any um, relationship, whatever it might be, any disappointment. So um, what he's saying is, never is it true that your only option is to walk away from God. Mm. That is never the case. There's uh, always another option. That's good. Yeah, this passage um, has been mis- misused in people's lives. There's that old cliche, God w- won't give you more than you can handle. And they go to this passage to talk mm-hmm. about that. I think that's, that's incorrect. I think what you see in this passage is God is faithful. It's not more than He can handle, but you will be stretched beyond your limits. The Apostle Paul talked about that continually in his own ministry. And so I think it's important to, to read this in light of um, probably not, not suffering, but real temptation to turn away from Jesus, that there is a way forward to keep following um, even, even after perhaps you've stumbled. That mm-hmm. seems to be in the context right. here. So if, if I'm talking to someone out there, in fact, if I'm just talking to you two guys about... Um, it being difficult for you to have a perspective that takes you down a new path uh, and is a, an alternative to walking away from Christ. Okay, so if you have a hard time gaining new perspective on a situation, a circumstance, uh, uh, this temptation, then I am convinced that you need other people in your life. And sometimes that means a Christian counselor. I just want to put a shout out for getting the help you need. You need somebody else to think with you about alternative ways to react or respond to this temptation. Mm-hmm. Sure. And that's, I, I would say, the gift of getting older is you're practiced now. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're smart, if you're wise, you're, in, you're practiced at looking at a situation and say, wow, in the grand scheme of things, blank, mm-hmm. or man... At least I can still think this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those is in a tragedy. Uh, we can, you know, like we might lose a loved one. We can oftentimes be mad at God and think that He owed us a longer life with that person. And yet, one alternative is to focus on the beauty 
and the gift of having that person in your life for the years that you did. And so you turn that into an opportunity for gratitude. Mm. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. There's always another alternative other than bitterness, other than walking away from Christ. We just need to find that perspective. And sometimes we're not good at it. We're too overwhelmed. We need other people in our life. And that's where the body of Christ comes in. Now, I so appreciate that. Before we wrap up this section and move into the next one that's also challenging, um, how do you guys practically be careful? What are some ways that you've placed caution into your life so that you don't fall? I think that's an important um, topic to, to talk about. I think that's what the Apostle Paul wants them thinking about. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm, I'm humble. You, you know, he's saying, be humble enough to recognize you're not beyond falling into this. Uh-huh. Um, and that's part of what, as I was watching the documentary and seeing Carl Lentz, who had an affair and yet was on stage on the weekend preaching against sexual immorality and sin, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. I'm watching that, and it's just, it just causes me to go, uh, one, I don't believe that I'm above that, and two, I'm going to put every you know, guardrail into my life so that I don't fall into that. Yeah. Um, but I'm just curious, how, how are you being careful, guys? I'll just say this quickly, and it sounds a little cliche, but I think it I think it actually is good for people to think through is for me to be able to keep a focus, a gospel minded focus on on my life. And what that means is I am sinful. Um, that's why I need Jesus. I'm I'm capable. I mean, I read these stories of past and I'm like, oh my gosh, I mean that could that could I mean that could be me, right? right. Like so I have to be very aware of my own the, my own sin in my life. Mm-hmm. So have that gospel mind of focus and just be aware of that. Because I think sometimes if you don't have that focus, it's just like, oh, I can just kind of do whatever I want and nothing's going to happen mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Paul, anything you'd add to that? Yeah, I think the word guardrails was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the guardrails is people that really know you. Mm-hmm. Uh, another guardrail is uh, don't put yourself in situations where it's easy to fall. Like he's doing, uh, Brian Houston's doing all this drinking. Who's in the room? Right. I mean, where are other people in his right. life? How come they don't know about it? Mm-hmm. Or if they did know about it, why aren't they saying something? Right. Mm-hmm. I, I like to know that I have people in my life that care enough about me, and I've made myself vulnerable enough to them that they mm-hmm. would say, hey, that's out of bounds, man. Because yeah, right, right. usually... The way to, the the time to pl- uh, use self discipline is to not put yourself in <coughs> excuse me in the situation where it's easy to fall. Yep. So d- don't put your toes over the line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and if you live a life where your toes aren't even close to the line, then uh, when that temptation hits, you know it, it's it's not going to happen. Yeah. You're not going to go over the edge. That's good. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it all comes back to these same three things, money, sex, and power, yep. right? With every every one of these situations, it's one of those three things. And um, so I'm looking at my own life and saying, Eric, where are there guardrails around those three things for you? And I, and I think about our, our church, our, our leadership structure, our purchasing policy, our budgeting process. There are serious guardrails around the money aspect mm. of the ministry of SMCC. And, well, I, well, and that's really important. I'm glad you said that because, you know, Brian Houston lives in an $11 million house, mm-hmm. and he gets around the taxes in Australia, Australia by having his ministry own that house, and the mm-hmm. ministry owns his jet, and the ministry owns his car. And he's living a life of luxury, mm-hmm. and nobody's mm-hmm. calling him out on it right? Uh, because his theology uh, allows for that. Ours right. doesn't. Right. And... Um, Alcohol didn't make him do that. Right. 
Okay, mm. he made conscious, willful choices to live a life that was extraordinarily mm-hmm. um, lavish. Lavish, yeah, yeah, that's the best word for it. And, yeah. and so, come on, dude, mm-hmm. you know, where's the people that can just call you out on that? And what's so, what was so ugly in this documentary, and there are things, there are so many things in the documentary that, um, are, are interesting to me, both in how we operate, things to look out for. There's some things it's like, wow, they did that? That was brilliant. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. things that it's like, wow, that is that is a creative approach to leadership. Um, and there are things it's like, man, we got we to gotta guard against that um, completely. But um, anyways, they he would over-spiritualize it. Like he would say this pressure I'm feeling of accountability was like Satan's attack against him. I'm like, no way. You just can't spin that. And so mm-hmm. when you have money, sex, and power, which show up in every sphere of culture, but you have theology that sort of defends that abuse, you know, the abuse, it is it is downright ugly. Again, another opportunity for perspective. I used to uh, say, oh man, I just feel so under the gun. South Mountain is, you know, broke. <laughs> we don't have any money. How am I going to make payroll? All mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And then I would remember some of the people I'd met in Africa and I, I described pressure this way. Your child is sick. You, can't, you don't have any money. You cannot afford a doctor. And, or, your, or your child is starving, mm-hmm. and you need food. And there's a drought, and no one has food. Mm-hmm. And you're watching your child die right in front of you. That's pressure. Mm-hmm. You know, so let's, <laughs> let's, let's regain a sense of pressure here. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So, so as leaders, guys, we have accountability around money. We have accountability around power. We're a team, and um, you know, we, we don't make decisions in a vacuum. We, we decide um, ahead of time what are our plans. Mm-hmm. We plan mm-hmm. accordingly. We put goals in place. And that really helps guard against one person having all the power in an organization. And so I, that's one way to be careful. I'm pretty convinced that if you or I made ourselves the hero of our own story and that sort mm-hmm. of thing on the stage, on Sunday, like we just kind of patted ourselves on the back a little bit too hard, mm-hmm. there would be a conversation. Right. I can't imagine there wouldn't be. And once again, it comes back to theology because the power that was at play at Hillsong is connected to the Lord's anointed. It's actually, they're actually right. saying, God has given me the power. I am the power player because God's given it to me. And that, right. and that was bad. And then, and then you come back to the sex thing. And, um, you know, this might sound, sound silly, but uh, being careful is just really investing into my marriage with my wife. I mean, that really is a proactive mm-hmm. approach rather than a defensive response. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I think this just uh, investing into that relationship is a big deal. So those are some of the ways that, that I'm currently being careful so that I don't fall. And um, watching documentaries like this, it's a sober reality to yeah. um, be even more careful. Mm-hmm. Yep. So let's press on. Yeah. So verses uh, 14 through 17 is the next little section here. It is, uh, Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. 
Where did this come from? I mean, it seems so out of left field, Paul. It's a really challenging... Stream of consciousness. Yeah, yeah. But I think here's the connection. He's saying, flee from idolatry. Why? Because you're so united with Christ. And he goes to the uh, communion symbolism to talk about how united with Christ you are, and therefore flee idolatry. I think he's just trying to give a gospel-motivated way of saying steer clear of idolatry, and he's using uh, the symbols of communion, as we call it, to describe that that very close connection. Now, this could be misinterpreted into some unique theology around uh, communion, like consubstantiation. Paul, you want to speak to any of that? Yeah, I, when it says uh, that uh, uh, for which we give thanks, uh, participation for the participation in the blood of Christ and the participation in the body of Christ. Well, of course, in Roman Catholicism, the thought is transubstantiation, and that is that the elements, the bread and the wine, actually become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Consubstantiation is a Lutheran concept, and that is that um, it's not the actual body and blood of Christ, but the essence, the essence yeah. of the body and blood of Christ, mm. and we are neither of those because when we read Jesus at the Last Supper holding up the bread and say, "This is my body broken for you," he broke off a piece of bread, and uh, he says, "Take and eat, all of you." Okay, he can't be in that bread. And at the same time, he's he's giving us a symbol of mm. his broken body. He did the same thing with the cup. This is the cup of the new covenant. Drink this in remembrance of me. It It's his body and his blood being represented by the bread and the cup. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. Symbol is not the same thing as substance. Yep. And uh, it seems we're not just picking this doctrine of communion in these two elements because we want to, or we think it's weird that the Roman Catholic... It's, it's actually what I think just the Bible teaches. It's what Jesus meant to communi- com- communicate is, is the symbolic uh, nature when, of this. And when, when he says, you're participating in the body and blood of, of Christ, yes, we are participating in the fellowship of, mm-hmm. of faithful believers. Right. This unites us. We're all under the gospel together. We're all in Christ, is all he's saying. He's just saying, why would you worship another idol when you're this connected to Jesus through... Mm -hmm. And these elements remind us how close we are. That's all he's saying. So let's keep going. Verse 18 through 22 now, Paul says, "'Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that the food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything?' No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? This is a, this is a wild section, but I think what he's saying is, look, eating matters so much in this culture... And when you eat these elements, it's a symbol of your connection and unity with Christ. When you eat these elements that are connected to other gods, it's like you're connecting yourself to them. So he's just trying to draw out the connection between eating uh, spiritual food, spiritual symbol, 
and the connection of worship to the God behind the symbol. And that's this demons thing. It sounds pretty strange to us, but when you just think of idolatry included food, the gospel includes these two elements, he's just doing a compare and contrast here. And I think that the general message here is you can't have it both ways. Mm. Again, let me go back to Africa. I use an illustration from that. One of the problems in talking to these uh, pastors that I was involved in training is... And they asked me this question, Pastor Paul, what would you do? Because there's several of my people who come to church, and they're faithful, and they seem to be committed, but on the way home, they'll buy a feather from the witch doctor, mm-hmm. the shaman. And if their kid's sick or something like that, that, that feather has been in some way blessed by that, um, by that witch doctor. So we prayed for their, their child at the church service, and now to kind of hedge their bets, they wanted to double dip mm-hmm. and go to the witch doctor just in case our prayers didn't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said, what do, you, what do you do with that? You know, we, we referred to passages like this and said, man, we've got to be exclusive in our worship for Christ and mm-hmm. really, I think, emphasize how important it is not to be polygamous in the in the sense of your commitment uh, to deity. You know, you can't yeah. you can't serve them all. You basically have to choose. Let's take that same illustration and apply it to our culture today, mm-hmm. where it's Jesus plus my rocks. You know, Jesus <laughs> plus my crystals. Jesus plus something else. I think you yeah. still see that in in our culture, and uh, that's a problem um, because if the Apostle Paul were here, he would say. Um, it, to use this language, there is no God behind those. In fact, he might say there's evil spirits behind those approaches. That's where the demons thing comes in. And he would say, run from that, flee from that. That's idolatry. You're worshiping a false god. And mm-hmm. so um, I think that's sort of the takeaway here in this section. Mm-hmm. And, and then he moves on to one more section. He goes back to the food that he talked about in earlier chapters, the eating thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a couple of things to keep in mind. One, his thought is naturally flowing there again because of what he's talked about. Two, leaders are repeaters. And so he's going to re-emphasize this because repetition helps instruct. And sometimes at SMCC, people have said, I've heard that before. Yeah, you're going to hear it again (laughs) because we're going to keep repeating what's most important. And uh, that's because leaders are repeaters. Repetition teaches well. And uh, when it comes to teaching my eight-year-old hockey team, we run the same drills week in and week out because repetition instills value. And Mm -hmm. um, that's what he's going to do here one more time. So let's wrap it up. Cool. Yeah. So here we are with verses 23 and 24. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market, yeah, sorry, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. For if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one that who told you and for the sake of conscience. Let's just pause right there. Why would that statement sort of change the arrangement for the Christian? You know, that's, mm. that's the interesting question. Why? Because it seems like they're then pushing that agenda. It's more than just food at this point. It's this is to my God. Would you eat this in honor of my God? It seems like he's pushing that at this point. And therefore, wow. that's where the boundary, the no, comes in. It's okay. not just food anymore. 
it's food with that's that's a symbol of a god, yeah, and that's they where attach it's the meaning to it. Yes, interesting. That, that you're not willing to participate in, right? Yeah. So that's that's the wisdom in this moment. So that's keep going. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I de- why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to ple- please everyone in every way. For I'm, I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. There you well, have it. it sounds like we have to take into consideration <clears throat> how our actions affect non-believers, new believers, young believers, yeah. people that can be influenced in, a, in, in any way, po- either positive or good. I mean, positive or negative. And so uh, we're not just free to live our lives with abandon. Mm-hmm. We have to be conscious of, conscious of how this affects their walk with God. You know, as I'm reading this, there's just one thing that kind of always stands out to me in Paul's writings is he'll do this deep dive into something that seems so foreign to us, but then he wraps it up with two statements that are as modern and as helpful to our culture as you can imagine, you know, for the good of others. Like, who? our culture loves that, and that's mm-hmm. on the heels of this deep dive into this unique, historical, sort of spiritual um, argument he makes. And I just think that's so brilliant, um, and I think it's how we teach the Bible today is to grab these timeless truths, talk about where our culture is specifically out of bounds or where the illustration from the New Testament fits into an illustration from our time and then make the point too. And that's, hmm. I think that's good, good Bible teaching. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He says, let's do a deep dive again, but remember, purpose over preference, love trumps freedom, mm-hmm. Say, you know, live your life in a way as to connect with the people, Paul, you just described. Can I go back to verse 15 for a second? It says, I speak to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. And so, of course, uh, we can be living in a straitjacket uh, if we're around people that are offended all the time by everything. And, and so we need to be sensible and just say to people that have extra biblical standards for us to live up to, and we can just say to them, sorry, yep. I'm going to have some freedom there. Mm-hmm. Now, if it genu- genuinely affects a young or non-believer, yeah, I am going to be sensible about that and mm-hmm. be very aware of how my actions might affect them. But you know, for people that have been a Christian for a long time and they should know better that that's not outside biblical standards... You know, so many Christian standards are cultural and not biblical. Sure, Mm. absolutely. Heather uh, Erickson mentioned one Sunday about wearing jeans on the stage. She said she grew up, that was a complete (laughs) no-no. No one would be happy with her if she did that. And she said, guess what? I I deconstructed that. Mm -hmm. And I found out the Bible doesn't have anything to say about that. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So (laughs) there you go. (laughs) She Uh, no longer lived under the scrutiny of Pharisees mm -hmm. in the church. That's great. That's freeing. Well, the next section dives back into some first century cultural issues, head coverings, how to approach worship. Mm -hmm. So it's going to get a bit spicier next week. So tune back in then. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you guys uh, for listening today and joining us. As always, I just want to remind you how helpful it is, encouraging and helpful to leave a review. We've got a review um, on our podcast just at the beginning of last month from uh, Jeff Rubel. 
somebody you might recognize, maybe some of you. He wrote, I love hearing the depth uh, thought, the, the, sorry, I love hearing the in-depth thoughts of our church leaders. These thoughtful and helpful insights help me navigate life. Uh, so thanks, Jeff, for writing that. Um, we'd encourage you to do the same. Go ahead on whatever you're listening to. Leave a review. If you'd like to see our other podcasts as well, you can go ahead and visit smccutah.org slash podcast and look at that as well. Thank you, and we will see you next week. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.